0: From WERA 96.7 in Arlington, this is Formative Tracks, the show where we sit down with DC area musicians to talk about the top five songs that made them who they are. I'm Eliza Burkhan. Today we have Jasmine Gillison, singer-songwriter extraordinaire in the studio. Welcome, Jasmine. Thank you so much. Uh, So, as I mentioned, you write your own music. Uh, You also play guitar and you play bass, I think, in local musician uh, Rachel Leviton's band. You play guitar or maybe teach guitar for Rainbow Rock? Just play. Play. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and you also play clarinet in all your free time uh, with the Herndon Regional Wind Ensemble. Yes. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how important or not important music was
1: in your household. Um, So I grew up in Fairfax, Virginia. And um, in elementary school, I chose the cello to start learning. And I think it was fourth grade. But that didn't last long. It just wasn't working for me. So the next year we could choose a band instrument. And um, I actually wanted to play flute or trumpet. But the band director chose clarinet for me because um, she thought that would be better. And um, in the end, I'm glad that she did because I ended up playing it um, uh, until the present. So clarinet has been a great instrument for me. And um, I picked up guitar kind of in middle school, just playing a little bit here and there, and then learning cover songs in college, but still just playing in my room. And then after college, um, at my first job, one of my friends was running an open mic in his free time, and I just went to go hang out, and my friends knew that I played, and they kind of pushed me up um, onto the stage about 10 years ago now, and um, I've been performing out ever since. That kind of is where it started.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we're going to come back to the open mic in a minute, but just staying with your childhood for a second what what instruments again did you want to play in elementary flute or trumpet okay and you why were you told so no flute or trumpet
1: my memory is that the band director asked me to try buzzing which is what you have to do to play a brass instrument it's a specific way of blowing into the mouthpiece and I tried it and I guess I was just completely off couldn't figure it out and she suggested clarinet And I just took that suggestion and ran with it. And I remember there were a lot of clarinet players, actually. But um, as the years went on, more and more people quit. And I just kept going. And um, it allowed me to actually travel with some of my school ensembles and um, was really fun for me. So I'm, I'm glad that I ended up playing clarinet.
0: Yeah. Um, no, I was just curious because I, I wondered if it was like a gender thing. Like you, you mm. want to play trumpet and like, yeah, we'll have you do the clarinet because it's more of a quote unquote girl's instrument. It's a good question. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, because that happens sometimes. Um, I've always wanted to know, like, what is the relationship between clarinet and oboe in terms of um I feel like there's this snobbery associated with the ob- like, oh, if you're a real woodwind player, you play the oboe versus the clarinet. Like you have to graduate to the oboe or like tell me
1: what's the real situation. There? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I my guess would be that oboe is a little bit more. Um, it requires a little bit more in terms of the read that you use to play the instrument Um, for clarinets. You can just go into a store and kind of buy a box of reeds and you can just play. But with oboe players, they, they tend to um, spend more time making their reeds themselves. So it's a more of an involved process. Making them. Yeah. They have like blades and different uh, materials, like glass plates and things where they're making their reeds and, It's a very specific thing. Um, I think it's a little bit more niche in terms of um, the preparation needed to play that instrument. And there are less of them, less oboe players, I would say. Because if you can't make your own, if you're not good with like (laughs) woodworking, just forget it. Yeah, well, I think they make some ready to go, but a lot of them make their own. at one point, I did want to try oboe, but my teacher told me that it would mess up uh, my embouchure or the, mm-hmm. you know, the way that I play clarinet. So I never tried. Your teacher, yet again. <laughs> no, <Nope, laughs> not teachers. happening. <laughs> um,
0: okay. And you were born in upstate New York? Yeah, uh, Rochester. Okay. So did yeah. you spend any time there or did you move when you were No,
1: sober? we moved down here when I was two years old. Um, so we lived up there because of my dad's job. He worked for Xerox up there. Um, and then we moved down here to, um, Fairfax area and he continued to work for Xerox. But, um, yeah, I don't know the specifics of the job thing, but I don't remember anything about Rochester, unfortunately. You can always visit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, okay. So
1: let's talk about your very first open mic. Like, Bring us back there. Yes. So I'm so glad that my friend actually took video of this 10 years ago. So I was watching it today. And um, I remember my friends encouraging me. These are the friends that I had uh, just started working with, um, let's see, a year and a half prior to that. So it took a year and a half of getting to know these people and um, going to my friend's open mic before I felt like, okay, I'll try this. And um I was sitting in a chair on the stage. My friend, who was the host of the open mic, let me use his guitar. And in the video, I'm just kind of smiling throughout, some nervous smiles. And um, and I, I can hear my friends cheering me on. And then I start with this song um, by Miko. And um, it's called Under My Bed. And uh, just, I made my way through it. It wasn't perfect, but I'm... I'm really glad that I did it, and that's that's where everything began. So what drove you to perform that? Like, how did you know,
0: okay, I'm ready? Like, were you like, I, I just got to make myself do this, I have to do this? Or you're like, oh, this is just a bucket list thing, like, well, we'll give it a try, and then whatever. I mean, what was your approach? I'm
1: I'm sure that I wasn't very laid back about it. <laughs> it's probably more the former, um, because it, it can take me a really long time to work up to doing something. So I'm sure it was weeks of friends encouraging me at each open mic and me saying that, yeah, maybe one day, maybe one day. And uh, I don't know what kind of put me over the edge to try it, but it was probably just several weeks of saying that I would and eventually um, just taking the leap. Yeah. And did you feel comfortable
0: on stage that night, like once you had started? Because I know sometimes it's like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like I can't get up there. But then like once you start, all that just kind of goes away. Like if you're able to just sort of get yourself into the song.
1: Yeah. um, It's hard. It's hard to remember exactly how I felt um, 10 years ago in that moment. But I would say I was Probably pretty consistently nervous the entire time and like hands shaking and and just anxious the entire time.
0: <laughs> so I've often wondered if you're feeling anxious to the point where hands are shaking, but you're supposed to be playing an instrument. Yeah. You know, because if you're just singing... Yeah, maybe your voice is shaking, but that's the only thing you have to worry about. Like, your hands can be doing whatever. Who cares? But if you're trying to, like, finger pick something... Yes. <laughs> how do you
1: deal with that? So, funny story about that. Um, I released my first EP um, fall 2018, and we had a big show at Pearl Street Warehouse in D.C., and the room was filled with family and friends and, like, my elementary school um, music teacher, second grade teacher, third grade teacher, because my mom is still friends with them. She's a teacher... So it's the room is filled with all these people from my life. And um, I think it was the first few songs we started with me just solo. So I walk out on stage without the band and I'm supposed to play these songs solo and they're very delicate finger picking songs. And I realize in that moment that when you're nervous enough, your brain forgets how to <laughs> finger pick. So I was, I fumbled a little bit through it, but eventually I think that the muscle memory came through, but it was kind of crazy for a minute there because my brain wasn't talking to my hands.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like there's that psychological thing that happens where you're like, okay, I'm ready to go. And then you think, what, what if I what if I forget? and then like the the fear of forgetting makes you forget yes and then you have to go to a different place in your brain which is lord help me like <laughs> let's get back we're gonna get back into the song and somehow you do and then you're like okay now we're good yeah we went through that yeah absolutely um well I'm glad it worked out thank yeah. you <laughs> um so let's hear uh one of your songs from your EP this is she's got it
2: Freshman year, nothing here. Sophomore year was fine too. But junior year brought tears and senior fears as she told herself this is you.
0: Tell us about the inspiration for that song.
1: Oh, for that song, um, inspiration comes from a couple different places. Um, the first one being that basically I had a crush on somebody and um, I I guess I kind of had my hopes up about that situation. But then I realized that um, a mutual friend of ours was interested in them, in them and uh, vice versa. So they were interested in each other, and that kind of left me out. And um, I kind of had these feelings of, well, you know what? she's better than me anyway. and what? just feeling, yeah, just feeling like she's the better choice. Um, just like, uh, feeling insufficient and uh, I guess on a certain level, like unworthy. Um, so that that song is about feeling insecure in that situation and so the she's got it is saying like that girl she has it she's got the thing I don't um but I get it and um the references to freshman sophomore junior senior year are about high school and just some feelings of um insecurities there as well so a few different things going on yeah uh and and what ended up happening with this relationship um uh, they are both with different people now, and um, one of them is often married and uh, moved away, and the other also moved away, not married, but they seem to be doing well, just not with each other. So. Yeah,
0: well, so, yeah,
1: maybe, maybe <laughs> she was the wrong choice. Yeah. Um,
0: so talk a little bit about your songwriting process. I think uh, when I spoke to you before for Arlington Magazine, you said, uh, that you tend to kind of have a story in mind first yep, as opposed to just coming up with a good melody first and then attaching some lyrics to it.
1: Yeah, that's usually how it happens. I have a, a feeling um, that I want to write about a specific story or, or something that's happening in my life at the time. Um, sometimes when I'm feeling a little off um, or wrestling with something, that's when I um, get inspired to write. And the music can be more difficult for me to come up with. I'm actually in the middle of a song right now and uh, the music has been tripping me up a little bit. But once I get that down, I I feel like the rest of the story is going to flow. Um, the lyrics, I already know what I want to talk about, but I'm just uh, struggling with the music a little bit. But we'll get there. Keep working at it. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's that would be challenging
0: to... Like let's say you come up, you you have your concept and then you write out your lyrics and now you have to come up with a tune to fit your lyrics. Mm -hmm. That seems tricky.
1: Yeah. Um, And I think I'm, I definitely feel like I'm stronger as a lyricist than as a guitar player. And some of my friends have played a lot more um, on the guitar. So I I just feel like I don't have access to as much um, as, as wide a library um as some of my friends in terms of just coming up with guitar parts so it it can take me a little bit longer to figure out something um but i in the end it works out and i have probably about 10 original songs now and hoping to write a lot more this year so i'm gonna have to work on that muscle a little bit
0: yeah well i feel like the more you get in the habit of writing then you know the more you write and the more it sort of starts flowing yeah it's when you haven't picked up that notebook for six months that it's like exactly there's a lot of cobwebs <laughs> um okay one of my favorite songs on your ep is uh last page so let's hear a little bit of that
2: Again, Last page of a chapter, I don't want to end It's funny how it seeps in and won't let you go I'm used to looking down, seeing two feet But it felt good when you stood next to me Some walls are bad, so I put up less this time, had a mind to give it all I had, but the time Today, damn, this clock took what? go back I would hit pause but the timing got me again with this time and I can't win maybe someday so on that song you
0: sang maybe someday one day we'll both be on time what did you mean by that
1: um that's about when um You, It could be any situation, really, but in this specific song, it's a relationship, again, that um, ends when you don't feel like you're ready for it. But I tend to be an optimistic person, so I feel like anything could happen in life, and if this person is meant to come back um, into your life, then they will. So um, it's just a little bit of hope that perhaps our paths will cross again again. and yeah this is just a pause so that's it <laughs> time timing didn't didn't work out
0: yeah. um yeah I feel like that happens a lot in mm-hmm. relationships uh even when you're in a relationship that's lasting for a long time there's a lot of moments where like you're not you're not on the same page and like the time you know you're not in the same place the timing is off and you got to sort of get back on yeah the same wavelength um so when you're writing a song are you thinking at all about the listener experience or like this is a message that I want to impart on the listener are you just kind of thinking is it more like I just want to work through my internal stuff and see what I create and if somebody is interested in hearing it that's cool but Mm
1: -hmm. that's a good question um I think it's more the latter when I'm when I'm working through a song and I'm trying to, um, you know, add to the song and um, continue writing lyrics for the song. And I'm and I'm stuck. I try to take myself back to what am I trying to say? What is the story? And just trying to express that in the the, the best or the yeah most clear way possible. So just coming back to the essence of what am I trying to say? Um, and sometimes like in the song I'm working on now, uh, I'll feel like, oh, this part needs to be bigger. Like when I am on stage in front of people imagining myself there, I, I need to bring something into this part where it's, it just opens up in the entire room. Um, so I guess sometimes I'll visualize myself, um, on the stage, but usually I, I just try to bring it back to what am I trying to say? Mm Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um.
0: All right. So let's move to your top five. Um. Did you have any challenges trying to narrow down this list, or what? Did it just come to you? Like, yeah, these are my these are my top five tunes. I had. It
1: it was a little bit of a challenge, uh, because I think songs all influence us in different ways. So I was just trying to figure out which one, which songs have had the most lasting impact, um. So it's it's a little varied, my list here, and how they've impacted me. But I think I got some good ones. Okay. I'm excited to find out, you know, how they've
0: impacted you and yeah. and the range here. So the first uh, song you picked was Little Sister by Jewel, yeah. which is a song I totally had forgotten about. But once I listened to it, I'm like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. this album, oh, my gosh, brought me back to middle school. Um, but what attracted you to this particular song?
1: So I don't, I don't think I realized until I had been playing guitar for a little while that this was probably one of my first influences. Um, I love all of the finger picking that Jewel does throughout her music, and I have a memory of listening to this album in my friend's room in middle school because um, I would always go to her house after school. And so I think that possibly Jewel's style found its way into my style, and um, I still love finger picking today so I think it's one of my first influences.
0: Okay so sort of just subconsciously like you didn't sit there and go like oh I want to be just like Jewel but right. you, that song appealed to you and you ended up using it. Yeah sort
1: of, I th- I think way. this particular song when I learned it was pretty exciting for me because I had been listening to it for years and it seemed further away um, at the time but then I, I learned it and it felt pretty good.
0: Yeah and I, f- <laughs> I think there's something thrilling about realizing and maybe this isn't what happened in this case but that first time you realize that you can play something you heard on the radio yeah because you know when you're a kid you're like oh yeah that's that one song by that band and you know that's their song but I, I, you know, you're like, oh my god, I'm playing their song. Yeah, like, yeah, it's really cool. You're listening to Formative Tracks on WERA 96.7. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Jasmine Gillison, a DC area singer songwriter. Uh, so your second song is "I'm Like a Bird" by the. I was gonna say late great. She's still alive, Nelly she's Furtado. Very much still alive. Um, I don't. What is she doing now, by the way? I haven't seen
1: or heard much of her lately. She was not sure. Huge deal at the turn of the millennium. And yeah, yeah. She's still on my list of artists I'd like to see perform live. Okay, that'd be cool.
0: Okay. Um. So you listened to this album on loop on a freshman year band trip.
1: Yes. So my memory is that I had the CD and I saved it. I didn't want to listen to it until we went on this band trip to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, went to Dollywood and did all of that. (gasps) Have you been (laughs) listening to the Dolly Parton podcast? I'm
0: not. Yeah. Dolly's America. It was suggested. I saw that. Yeah. And there's a whole episode that talks about Dollywood.
1: Cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. um, So I remember on this band trip, you know, we take a big coach bus to go perform um, in different cities each year. And um, I remember having my Walkman CD player with me and I listened to it as we're driving through the Smoky Mountains and um, just have been a fan of Nelly ever since and um, several years after that I remember listening to it on my way down to college and um, I still listen to it now. The CD started to skip at one point in this song and so even if I'm listening to it digitally today like I still remember where the skip is.
0: Yes, I it's totally, so I've, I've ha- had those moments. That's really funny. Um, Yeah, something that like today's children won't be able to relate to. Yeah. Um, oh sad. <laughs> okay, your third song uh, was Under My Bed by Miko, mm-hmm. who, by the way, I discovered has a very soothing version of Zombie. Have you heard yes, that? Yes, yes. Yes. Um, but this was the first song you performed publicly, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but why did you pick... The song. I mean, it's not like a super well-known tune.
1: Um, for for the list or to play it open oh, mic?
0: Oh, well, yeah. Okay, why did you pick, the, pick that to play it in open mic? And then are there other reasons why you put it in your top five besides the fact that it was at your first open mic?
1: Yeah, I think um, I picked it for open mic just because I was a fan of Miko and it's relatively easy to play. Um, the The version that I play is pretty straightforward song and uh, it's fun so i think it's probably just something i was playing a lot at the time and then for my list uh, mostly just because it was the first song i played at open mic and that first open mic was the beginning of um, a set of dominoes that continues to today that's brought me so many amazing experiences so Um, I just kind of like looking back to that uh, very first moment. And so I thought it was important for the list. Yeah. Do you still perform that now? Um, I haven't recently, but I I still do. Yeah. It's still in my catalog of covers and a few other Miko songs as well. Yeah. It would be fun to do like a side-by-side video of, you know, your first open
0: mic and you today performing the song. Yes. And
1: when I first started, I was, I only played sitting in a chair and I, I graduated to standing up and playing guitar. That was a big night. Um, I think that happened at IOTA um, Club and Cafe when I stood for the first time and played guitar. So, so that's a big, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. Having not performed
0: guitar in public, yeah, um, it, that's a big transition from, I, I guess there's a comfort level with sitting in a chair and you can kind of hide behind your guitar a little bit more or yeah. just explain the difference. It's like, mentally
1: yeah uh, well for me personally it's easier to play certain things seated um certain chords because when you stand the the angle can change just a little bit it makes it a little harder to play certain things but um it being such a big deal for me to go from um, being seated to standing i think it was more about uh my community and my friends who were recognize that that was a big step for me. I don't think it's probably as, as big for other people. But um, yeah, I think it it um, signified kind of a, a step up in confidence for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I was probably a little nervous about standing up um, to begin with. So that was a big step. And you mentioned yeah. IOTA. What role did that play in the beginning of your Performance career, such a huge role. <laughs> um, so I the this first open mic that I did ten years ago was at Old Fire Station Number Three in Fairfax, um, that my friend D was the host of, and then I started working at Artisphere um, in Roslyn, which is also now sadly gone um, in fall of two thousand ten. So I was looking for an open mic where my new uh, co-workers at Artisphere could come out and we could hang out after work. Iota was right up the street. So I came up here and um, I scoped it out at first. I went to an open mic and just sat and watched and um, eventually got up there and played. And then I um, realized that one of my f- new friends there knew. Um, well, OK, so one of the first people I met was Derek Evry who worked at IOTA and also performed um, every week, and he's amazing, so incredible. I realized that his drummer at the time, Ben Tufts, had been working at the same band camp I was working at, and I remember seeing Ben Tufts and thinking, that looks like a cool guy, but I never talked to him. But once I made the connection, uh, he and I connected and have been friends ever since, and uh, the partnership with him has... um, been huge in terms of recording my album, and we did a mini tour, and I met so many other people at IOTA. It was like the center of my universe, kind of. Um, ben and Derek are just what, two examples, but um, Rachel Levitin, who I play bass with, I think I probably met her there, um, Justin Trewick, who was um, on, on the podcast Friend here. Friend of the show. Yeah, he, um, I don't know if he and I met at IOTA, but it, it's quite possible, and I've done the nine songwriter series with him at IOTA and a few other places. And um, yeah, it was just IOTA was huge for me. Yeah.
0: Um, did you go to one of the closing shows?
1: I I'm pretty sure I did. Oh, my gosh. It's such a blur. Um, I know that it was like packed out, uh, packed and sold out. Yes. OK. It's all coming back to me now. Uh, My very good friend, Melissa Groth, who's a a local visual artist and fan of the music scene, she kind of led the charge um, with us all writing on the walls inside IOTA on one of the final nights. (laughs) So we had a bunch of Sharpie markers, and um, we were just writing messages and things on the walls. And so that was one of the final nights. And yeah. Yeah. Great, great memories. Did anybody like save a portion of
0: the wall when they? I mean, because now it's. I mean, it's just not there. Like, yeah, the whole I, thing has been torn down.
1: I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. Um, they did have a like a garage sale thing,
2: um right.
1: Towards the end, and I picked up a couple tables. So, at Iota, I would always sit um, stage right against the wall on the the benches that they have uh, near the second bar, and um, I was able to to buy one of the um, tabletops, one of the high-top tables that's screwed into the floor. And so that's at my parents' house now. Uh, it's like it's screwed into
0: the floor of your
1: parents' <laughs> house. <laughs> I think it's flipped over on its top now. But one day, one day I'll have a space. Um, Big enough to... Yeah. To
0: the, yeah. I'm going to use that table. That's your dreams for this new d- decade. Yes. Um. And, and what would you say now... I mean, the people I've talked to about IOTA say, like, nothing can replace it. Nothing has replaced it. But, like, what's the closest you can think of
1: in the D.C. area? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I do kind of feel like nothing can replace it. Um, I've seen uh, Pie Shop in D.C. A lot of bands have been coming through there and playing. Um, I just played there recently with Rachel Levitin, and we're going to play there again soon. Um, so... That's definitely feeling like a great community space to me. Um, yeah, that's the main one that's coming to mind, but I'm, I'm happy to see any music venues in the area that are helping to create community. Sure,
0: absolutely. Luckily, there's a lot of places. I mean, I know some you know have closed, obviously Iota, Gypsy Sally's just closed. Um, yeah. but there still are dozens of uh, music venues. Hopefully we can just keep the ones that sort of focus on local musicians open yeah and keep opening some more okay so your fourth song um being the fan of united airlines that you clearly are uh you picked rhapsody in blue yes um <laughs> by the late great george gershwin yes um okay so
1: is this a clarinetist dream solo yes definitely yes this is a bucket list item for me to play um even if I didn't play the solo, just to be in an ensemble playing this song would be huge. I think I've, I, at this point, I've probably purchased like two copies of the piano score, even though I'm not a good piano player because I love the song so much. Um, and uh, I realize that oftentimes when I'm listening to the song, there's a visual that goes with it in my mind. And I think that's thanks to the Fantasia animation. Mm. So I looked it up today, and it's Disney's Fantasia 2000. Um, And because the visual that I have is usually like cityscapes, and that's exactly what Disney did. It was the animation with the few different characters whose lives you go through who live in the city. And uh, I watched it right before this, and it just – it got me going, and I was tapping on my desk and singing along. It's so fun. I just love Rhapsody in Blue.
0: Yeah, I always
1: think of New York. Yes,
0: uh, I I haven't read a lot about the you know how the song was composed. Although I think I saw part of it was composed on a, a train ride, uh, which I feel like so many songs are written on. Like I was sitting on the subway and I wrote the song. Or I was on a train. With mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it sounds so New York to me. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to learn more about like what Gershwin's intention was. Um and how would you play that glissando on the clarinet? Ooh, because I mean, yeah. right, to change pitches like with a trumpet you can change your embouchure as part of the changing pitches, right? But clarinet, yeah. like you're moving your fingers.
1: I think it's a it's it's a little bit of uh adjusting your your mouth. Um and it's a little bit of kind of sliding certain fingers. I, I have not perfected the technique, but I think it, it is a combination of the mouth and the hands um, that makes the note bend yeah, in that way. Yeah, it sounds
0: seamless. It's crazy. You're not hearing like, rah, 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 you know. Your final selection uh, was I Don't Feel It Anymore by William Fitzsimmons.
1: Yes. So you said you saw him at a Jam and Java show? Yes. Yeah, so um, occasionally I'll just go on the local venues websites just to see what's coming up. And um, I remember several years ago, maybe like six or seven years ago, um, I saw William Fitzsimmons listed on their website and I read his bio. I'd never heard of him before, never heard his music, but his bio said that he used to be a um, mental health therapist and then he transitioned into music and he grew up with two parents I believe, who were blind, two blind parents. And his story just seemed very interesting to me. And I listened to some of the music. So I went, brought my mom with me, and um, became a fan of him at that point. And then this particular song, I Don't Feel It Anymore, I learned um, and just kept playing it ever since. i played it so much. Um, it's one of the most uh, covered songs that I play. and. Um, oh yeah and his guitarist um Jake Phillips at the time I don't know if he still plays with him but he was local maybe still is local to DC and would frequent IOTA at times and so one time I was on stage playing this William Fitzsimmons song um song and Jake comes out from the back into the main room and uh I finished the song and then afterwards uh talk with him and he said that was so surreal to see you playing that song because we just got back from tour like playing that song and just kind of weird and and he told me you should come out to Chicago we're doing a live concert recording um soon and so my mom and I just made a trip to Chicago for fun um but mainly to see William Fitzsimmons and so I guess I became a super fan at that point and um Listening to the song now, it kind of feels like part of my my little music world, um, even though it's not my song, you know, it kind of just became part of my thing as well. So it's uh, an important one for me. Sure. And is
0: the it in the song like love for someone else mm-hmm. or what is it that's not being
1: felt? That's a good question. Um, I know that or I'm pretty sure he wrote this song about uh, the divorce that he went through and it's it's both partners who are talking in the song um so i think it may be them both saying that they don't feel what they used to feel anymore and um there may be some anger and sadness that goes along with that based on what happened um but yeah it's a great song
0: so thank you so much for coming on the show today jasmine it's been a real treat thank you so much it's been a pleasure awesome so uh thank you listeners for listening and be sure to follow us on social media download archived episodes wherever you get your podcasts and tune in next week when we sit down with another dc area musician to talk about the top five songs that made them who they are